Sam. Yeah, Don. What's the word? Drag, as in let go or be dragged. Where'd you hear that? I I heard heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, have you heard that AA is collecting interviews with recovering active military folk? Oh, wait, you mean the Armed Forces Interview Project, Don? The Trustees Committee on Cooperation with the Professional Community Treatment and Accessibilities is seeking AA members in the U.S. and Canadian Armed Forces to discuss their experience, strength, and hope as sober members of AA in the military in recorded anonymity-protected interviews. The goal of this effort is to improve AA outreach to members in the U.S. and Canadian military. Interested military members can volunteer or get more information about this project by writing to militaryoutreach at aa.org. Is that what you meant, Don? That is exactly what I meant. I think you were reading that. (laughs) Well... I'm interested in this armed forces interview project. You know, the idea to interview active members of the military so that AA can improve its outreach. That's an incredible thing to do. I hope people will participate. I hope so, too. It's another one of those places of trying to meet people where they're at. And if we can find out more information about how to do that and use that, then we can help more people. And that's exactly what we're all about, right? Right. Well, today's guest is Sammy H., who has done a lot of work with prisons. He's been the Area 72 Corrections Chair. I miraculously never had any encounters with the police while I was drinking, though If they ever did notice me, I could have, maybe should have been arrested and convicted drinking and driving. I I never drove when I wasn't drunk, it seemed, but I never did get arrested. Did you ever have any trouble with the law in your drinking? You know, I never had any trouble, but I did have experiences with the law when I was drinking. Hmm. One of the funniest ones was I was known to go out wandering at night when I was drunk and home alone. I had this rather large, big white dog that I'm out wandering the streets of this tiny town at like, I don't know, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And I walk past the police station and there's a cop out there. And I asked him if he would take us home. And so he loaded us up in the back of the cruiser and and drove me a block to the house. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's small town policing for you. Yeah, that's. Oh, I guess I have had an experience like that with the police where my roommate was delivered home drunk by the police and he had to go back the next day to the police station and get his bicycle. And he went to get us. This was in Key West. Mm -hmm. He went back the next day and his bicycle was locked up in a cell. This is really different policing than it is now. (laughs) They locked up the bicycle and gave him a ride home. They, I think they do it the other way around now, but that I'm definitely different. 
Yeah, I have spoken at a prison a couple times, a speaker meeting, you know, shared my story. And I always felt other than until I realized most of the guys there, they were arrested because of something related with alcohol. Mm. And I was always drunk. And all it would have taken for is for me to get caught at something. Yeah, I would have been sitting in a cell very easily. I, I never did, but I certainly deserve to be. Well, today we'll have a blast from the past, an archival recording of one of our pioneers in recovery. We'll hear some of Sister Ignatia's memories of working with Dr. Bob in the early days of AA. The recording was made in 1954. It's been edited for time, but not for content. But first, let's meet our guest, Sammy H. I'm really looking forward to hearing from Sammy. Hey, I'm Sammy. I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is November 9, 2009. Um, and I currently live in Puerto Escondido in the southern coast of Mexico. And my home group is the Grateful Live Group. It is the only English-speaking meeting here, and I'm stoked to be with y'all. Sammy, thanks for joining us. You said the southern coast of Mexico. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. What is AA like there? So one of the things, it's really interesting because um, there, there is a huge like Spanish-speaking fellowship here. They have different uh, meeting halls and things like that. I mainly participate in like the English-speaking AA meeting. And it is difficult because we have one English-speaking meeting. It meets three times a week. I live in a very like party-heavy surf town. It's very transitionatory. We have maybe like, depending on what time of the year it is, like during the off season, we might, might have five, six people that are attending the meeting. And then during high tourist season, we could have like 40, 50 people in the meeting. So it, so it can be hard because you like make friends with somebody and then they like are here for a couple months and then they leave. But it's also a bonus, you know, because we're getting experience from people all over the world, you know, yeah. who are coming and participating in our meeting. So you're one of the anchor people for that meeting yeah, because yeah. you're always there. You're making sure AA is there for those visitors. Yeah, and it's cool because there's a group of us that are like in our like mid 30s, early 40s, like uh, typically younger than the, than the the average age. And uh, and our home group didn't have service positions, so like one of the things we did was like we're like we all live here, like we want to be involved. Like let's create these service positions that we can do, you know. Woohoo! Nice. Yes, because you've got a background of service. Yes, yeah, I've, I've been heavily involved in service. Corrections chair. What's that job? So, I mean, I, I think it depends on which area that you're from. I am the past correction chair for Area 72. And where's Area 72? Area 72 is Western Washington. Washington State. Okay. And it was really cool. Like I had a bridge the gap coordinator in Washington. We had, it's called the bridge program. And then I had a literature coordinator. And a lot of what I did was kind of get the, the correction chairs for the various districts together to talk about not only bringing in the message of AA into jails and prisons, but also when people are leaving jails and prisons, how do we get them connected with AA so they can like succeed at staying sober once they're beyond the walls? And that's the Bridge the Gap program. Yeah. So did you get sober in Washington State? I did. Ah, what led to that? <laughs> well, it's, it's great. You know, relapse is part of my story, but I had gone to prison when I was uh, 18 for a robbery. Um, when I got out, I had like the thing I was like, well, you know, like, if I could stay off of like hard drugs and I just like drank, you know, and, and that never went well. And I just like struggled with staying out of jail. And um, I, I went to a treatment program that pointed me towards AA and got involved 
Um, I had a relapse about maybe like 18 months into my sobriety, which led me to going back to prison. Um, but this time I had 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 a foundation, you know, and so I had had a sponsor, I had friends in AA. And while I was incarcerated again, you know, people wrote me, my sponsor worked the steps with me through the mail. I attended AA meetings in prison. When I got out, my I was 23. My sponsor came with my mom to pick me up from prison, you know? Wow. And then I just kind of like, you know, I realized I, I really needed to get involved in AA to stay sober. So fantastic. So you re- relapsed after 18 months. What do you think brought that on? I imagine after 18 months, you felt like you were working the program. Well, that's a, it, that's, that's a great question. And I've thought about this over the years of like, why, why did I relapse? And I, I think there was two big points um, that kind of have the same, the same, same underlying theme. Right. And for me that it, it came down to honesty. Right. One part was that I struggled to do a thorough, like fourth and fifth step. Like I had that one secret I was going to keep to my grave. And I told my sponsor about it. I was like, I have something I can't tell you. And my sponsor made it really clear that I was going to have to share it with somebody. But my, my you, excuse me, but you didn't share. I, I didn't. That that was one of the big reasons why I relapsed was because I had that secret that I couldn't get out of my fourth step. Mm. We're as sick as our secrets. Yeah, exactly. And then another big thing was like when I came to AA, I was a young woman, um, and I had gender stuff. You know, when I first came to AA, I was twenty. I'd never taken a legal drink, and I felt so different than the people around me. I didn't want another thing to set me apart. So like all of this stuff of like who I truly was, you know, I just stuffed all that stuff, you know? And so like, I couldn't be honest in my fourth step and I couldn't be honest with myself and the people around me about, around who I was, you know? And so, so when I came back, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get loaded again. I don't want to drink again. You know, I had to figure out a way to be able to like do an honest fourth step and then also be honest with myself, you know, honest with myself and honest with the people around me, no matter how uncomfortable it was. Mm. And in doing that, you discussed the gender uh, issues. I, I don't have the language here. Yeah, no, I, you know, so when I came back in AA, I'm so glad that I had a sponsor that was like, I had a, I had a sponsor that was like, seek outside help, you know, like mm-hmm. you have some stuff that can't be dealt with in AA, like go, go talk with a therapist. And I did that. And, you know, they say, don't make any big changes your first year of sobriety. And so I, I, I waited until I had a year and a month of sobriety. And then uh, me and my therapist, my doctor, we decided that the next right indicated step was to go through a gender chain. Um, and it was really interesting in AA, you know, because I was really afraid because it's not, it's not something that you can kind of hide, you know, going from female uh-huh. to male, like it's very noticeable. Yeah. Um, and I, and I struggled with, I struggled with my fear around like how people were going to see me or treat me. And I struggled with like the actual ways that people like treated me, you know, but that, that really pushed me, you know, I, I had this, uh, my service sponsor mentor, he really pushed me into getting into involved, more involved in service because I would like say like this happened or, or I don't like this, you know, and he's like, well, do something about it, you know, like get involved, make the changes that you need to like feel like you belong here, you know. And that led to a motion going before the general service conference did. Yes. You know, my service sponsor, uh, kind of like walked us through the steps of like how to create a motion. And me and some of my friends created this motion asking that, that the general service conference create literature for trans people. Um, and it went through the home group. It went to the district. It went to the area. And at the time I was an all DCM. And at the area, some of the DCMs were like, well, let's bypass our assembly process. We have one assembly a year. What about DCM? What's a DCM? A district com- committee member, the person who kind of represents the, uh, the district. 
And one other question, since we're in that moment of what is a service sponsor? So for me, my service sponsor is somebody who who has more experience in service than me and who is well-versed in not only the traditions, but the 12 concepts for world service as well. And so at the area level, this motion? Yes. Some of the DCMs were like, well, let's bypass the assembly process and let's shoot it directly to the general service conference. Um, and some of our past delegates were like, no, you know, we have a process for a reason, right? And we, and what, as an area, we took a whole year to talk about this motion, right? Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, I was like, I don't know if I agree with this. I want this to go straight away. But that process, that year of talking about was so instrumental of like educating the area and like the groups of like, what are some of the barriers that, that trans alcoholics experience in AA? It was kind of like, it was perfect. You know, it's like my higher power working in my life. Bring everybody along with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I've heard it said that AA moves at the speed of trust and to push something forward. And like, that's not the way that we do it. Yeah. So you felt other than outside of AA, it's like, I'm, I'm different. I can't fit in yet. The solution was to get more into AA and start doing service work. I mean, this was going on at the same time. You're changing genders and doing service work at the same time? Yeah, I started off, I was, I was the district uh, public information chair, and then I moved to being the alt-DCM. Yeah, it was, it was cool. And then just getting more involved in uh, general service. It was the thing that AA is a microcosm of the greater world, right? So not everybody was like that great to me. But then I'd have experience where like the delegate would be like, oh, I never asked you like what pronouns do you use, right? And me being blown away because it's like a, you know, a, a gray haired old lady asking me about my pronouns and being like, wow, okay, like maybe, maybe there is a place, you know, in AA for me. Or like, I have all these, I call my AA grandpas who like swoop me up, we go fishing, like we go like salmon fishing and halibut fishing and, and do these fishing trips and like, and I've gotten to have these great experiences where people who are really, really different than me like just kind of brought me into their fold, right? And, and they take me to do things that like they do with other guys, you know? That is AA in that it is. I mean, you've it's plain that you're different as you're changing genders, but who doesn't feel like they're other than? And the solution is to go deeper and do more in AA rather than back away. Well, I think that one of the things that service did for me was that it introduced me to a wider group of people, right? You know, when you're getting sober in these small towns with like a set amount, like something as, as drastic as a gender change, like so many people are uncomfortable with that, you know? And like, what do we do when we're uncomfortable? We kind of stay away from it, you know? Yeah. And so like getting involved in service just opened up my community in this big way that I like got to like meet people you know, meet people all over the place. And, and also like, I got to meet other trans people. Like for a long time, I was like, I'm the only one, I'm so unique, you know, and getting involved in service and like going to Eastern Washington or going to a different state, you know, to do some service thing. Um, I got to meet other trans people and see that like, oh, I'm not alone. Or like my experiences aren't unique. Other people are struggling with these things. And a huge part of my recovery is connection to other people. It's been the same thing for me. As a gay man, whenever I came into the rooms, I was absolutely terrified of straight men in these meetings. I was going to only to the gay meetings because I didn't want to get beat up. There were not enough gay meetings for me to go to 90 and 90. So I wound up going to the mainstream meetings. Lo and behold, I saw gay people in there that I saw in the gay meetings. And wow, these straight men weren't like threatening me and... But I needed that step in because I felt other as well. 
I felt other too, but that's just because I'm an artist. Yeah, you're just <laughs> so I'm weird. different than the rest of you. You're you're just weird, Don. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, when you came in the second time, what's one of the steps that you did that you got a result that was different than what you expected? the fourth and fifth step you know so many people talk about like oh I have like this experience and like for me when I finally was able to do a thorough fourth and fifth step I just felt really empty and I didn't know what to do with that mm-hmm. you know and it wasn't until like until like step nine when I was actually going out and making amends that I like got some relief and that was kind of the most surprising thing because I, I had done a lot of like horrible things to people and making amends for these things I just thought that people were going to like hate me and the reactions from people of like going and making amends and doing financial amends and things like that was just like, it was really surprising to me, you know, where people, they didn't hate me. They were upset, but I got to clean up a lot of that stuff. That step nine work yeah. is, is really some amazing stuff. I love the ninth step promises where it talks about, we will be amazed before we are halfway through halfway through what halfway through <laughs> making these amends. Yeah, the amends are the real gold. I think same was true for me. The fourth and fifth, which is to make an inventory and share it with another person. And I had been in therapy for years, and I felt it was very much like that in many ways. So it it was like okay, but in making the amends, and then the way I felt afterwards, that the real change came to where I've really felt different about myself. So what is something about your life today that brings you joy that would not be available to to drunk Sammy? Well, I think that just the fact that I'm like living in Mexico, I I live somewhere where like it's like between 85 and 90 all year round. Um, I can like go out to my back porch and see the ocean. Um, I've like gone like swimming with dolphins and like seeing whales and snorkeling and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, if I was still drinking, um, one, I wasn't able to get a passport until I sobered up. And two, it's like, you know, if I, if I was here drinking, like I'd probably, with like the partying that happens in this town, like if I was here drinking, I'd probably be dead, you know? Mm. Are you ever tempted? You know what's really cool? Because my home group is the only English-speaking meeting, we get a lot of people coming in drunk, you know, and I've gotten to do a lot of really cool 12-step work, taking people to treatment centers trying to help them figure out how to get back back to the U.S. and like just trying to get people sobered up, you know, and those experiences alone, I'm just like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't don't want that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So are you sponsoring people now? I am. And, and it was really cool. You know, I had this opportunity to come to Mexico, but I had some other opportunities. And I was like, I I was talking to my sponsor. I was like, I don't know which, what is the right choice to do, you know? And my sponsor's like, pray that your higher power sends you to like where you can be the most useful, you know? And I did that and I came here and it was just like, you know, there isn't a whole lot of people to sponsor people. There's not a whole lot of people that are just here all year round. And so it's been a really amazing opportunity, not only 12 stepping people, but to be available to take up other people, other guys like through the book. Got to appreciate those people. I mean, I thought when you were sharing before, I remember the, when I got sober, I was going to Carolina beach, really small town, in North Carolina, there were people that were the anchors there. I needed those people because I wanted to drink so bad that trip and I didn't do it. And it was really thanks to AA and the people who were there making sure that the meetings happen. 
It's an important thing. I got to travel internationally a lot for many years for work. And the one thing that I did at every locale was go to an AA meeting to find those people in sometimes small locations who are holding this together, just like you've described. It's an incredibly important thing. You know, for the longest time, my going to these meetings, traveling was kind of AA tourism. Until one day it showed up that I really needed a meeting because I'm in trouble and I knew where to go and I was able to do it. And y'all were there. Well, I'm like, I'm super grateful for like the anchors even before me, you know, because when, when I came here, it was, it was middle of COVID. The guy that started the meeting, Dan, the meeting's been going on for 30 years, you know, and there'd be times where like, he'd be the only one that showed up, you know, mm-hmm. and it would just be us two having a meeting. Like the town was shut down. There wasn't any tourism or whatever. Well, and I'm grateful that we have a ton of old timers that have been coming like every, every high season for like the last 30 years. And so it, there's a really cool group of people here. Oh, that's great. Well, Sammy, thanks for joining us today. It's been a real joy getting to know you. It's been Blast from the past. Dr. Bob, as he is known in AA, was a member of the active staff at Akron City Hospital. Dr. Bob operated occasionally at St. Thomas after its opening. He was appointed to the staff in 1934. During this time, Dr. Bob's true character and noble qualities were revealed to me through our many professional contacts. Whenever he called about a patient, I recognized his deep, resonant voice over the telephone. With his rich New England accent, he would say, Sister, may I have a bed? He rarely came into the hospital without visiting the admitting office. I have many happy memories of these little visits. Dr. Bob was the essence of professional dignity, had a fine sense of humor and an exceptional vocabulary. With a little humorous phrase or an original slang expression, he could bring into the conversation an air of finality, which left no room for criticism or comment. He had no time for idle chatter and would always make his point quite clear in as few words as possible. Now, as I look back over the years, I realize that Dr. Bob was slowly but surely preparing me for the great project he had in mind. We often discussed the problem of alcoholism and the tragedies caused by excessive drinking. The individual given to alcoholic addiction is frequently a wreck of humanity, broken in body and soul, mind and heart, and is unable to help himself. His loved ones suffer too. Both did not usually admit alcoholics as such rather only if they had been in an accident or suffered from some serious illness. If they were admitted, they would often develop delirium tremens because doctors treated them for what they considered their major illness, sometimes overlooking the fact that they were also alcoholics who needed tapering off. One day, to my great surprise, Dr. Bob told me about his own drinking problem. I could hardly believe it, as I had never seen Doctor under the influence. He told me about his contact with the Oxford group, and how, after attending meetings, he still found himself with the Bible in one hand and a glass in the other. He related his providential meeting with Bill, a New York broker, 
and he gave me a resume of all that had been accomplished between the years of 1935 and 39. Doctor was convinced that if his prospective patient could be taken from his environment and drinking companions and placed in a hospital under professional care, the individual would have a much better chance of being properly treated and indoctrinated in the philosophy of the Alcoholics Anonymous program. A few of the Akron hospitals admitted these patients for a time under very diagnosis, but soon gave up the venture in favor of what they considered more serious illnesses. Dr. Bob was told in no uncertain terms to seek refuge for his jittering prospects elsewhere. I had never seen Dr. in a depressed mood before that memorable day. I thought that he was ill but I soon learned the cause of his discouragement. As he explained, these thoughts were running through my mind. During the 11 years prior to the inauguration of this program, 1928-39, had we not admitted many alcoholics under varied circumstances? I recall very distinctly coming to the chapel for prayer shortly after five one morning, only to be met by the night supervisor who told me, in no unmistakable terms, that the next time I admitted a DT to the hospital, I had better stay up all night and run around the corridors after him. It didn't all end there, either. Therefore, doctor's plea struck a resonant chord, prompted by the grace of God. A tentative plan was formulated. We cautiously admitted a patient under the expert care of Dr. Bob. Alcoholics Anonymous was so closely connected with the Oxford movement at that time that I feared we might become involved with a religious sect of some kind. I asked Father Vincent Haas, a newly ordained priest in a neighboring parish, to attend some of the AA meetings at King's School. In fact, that was the only group in Akron at that time. Father Haas was impressed and predicted that if they carried on as they were planning, Alcoholics Anonymous would probably become one of the greatest movements of our age in the conquest of alcoholism. Dr. Baum took a personal interest in all the ward activities. He visited the patient daily without salary until his health failed. He formulated a simple hospital plan to which we have always adhered. He screened most of the patients himself in the early days, either before or after they were admitted. After making rounds in the morning, he would often say to me, Sister, Mr. So-and-so is not ready for this program. I would then give him a pathetic tale about the man's wife and little family and how his job was in jeopardy if he didn't get straightened out. Doctor would just shake his head and say, Sister, he just isn't ready. Doctor was always right. I learned from experience that it was a waste of time to force anyone to accept the program. Hey, Joe, how was your week? 
good. I, I went to the liquor store Friday afternoon on my bicycle, bought a bottle of vodka and put it in my basket. Mm-hmm. As I was about to leave, I thought to myself, if I fall off the bicycle, the bottle will break. So I drank all the vodka before I cycled home. <laughs> Smart thinking. It turned out to be a very good decision because I fell off my bicycle seven times on the way home. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc., We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.